Before we get into this episode, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love our show, please scroll down to the review section of your favorite podcast platform and leave us a five-star rating. If you have a few more seconds, please also leave us a review telling us what you like most about our show. We read every single one of these and we appreciate them so much. This will also help us grow and get into the ears of those who love true crime and food as much as you do. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to Unsavory, where true crime meets food. Welcome back to Unsavory. I'm Sarah. And I'm Becca. And we're your hosts. This is your first episode as a married woman. How do you feel? I feel very merry. (laughs) You too? (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, like the wedding was amazing. I feel like so So many people tell you that your wedding is the best day of your life. And I didn't really understand what that meant until now. Okay, so it was all worth it. All the planning. I'm relieved it's over, but it was yeah. definitely a night for the books. And <laughs> yes, it was. Sarah was there. Sarah and Jeff were there. <laughs> yes, we had a total blast, got a little bit silly, and it was actually the first time we were all three of us, the whole podcast team, me you and Jeff, together, other than the time we all met in the vaccine line, <laughs> yeah. getting our vaccines. It was a lot of fun, and so many people thought you were my sister. Yeah, I know. Someone said that to me, too. They were like, you guys look so much alike. I was like, I take that as the highest of compliments because Becca's <laughs> a stunner. And her <laughs> pantsuit at the wedding, unbelievable. You can check it out on our Instagram page <laughs> at Unsavory <Thank> Podcast. <laughs> it was amazing. Amazing, amazing. Okay. Today's topic is so cool, and I'm very excited to share. I'm, uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Pause for a <laughs> Yeah, pause for effect. 
I don't know anything about this topic. Mm-hmm. I heard you were talking about, was it breathitarian or breatharian? I don't even know how you say it. Breatharianism. Um, breatharianism. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what that encompasses. I have no idea what this like culty thing you're going to tell me about is all about. So I'm pretty fascinated. Yeah, it's, more. it is culty. That's the perfect word for it. And so like Becca said, today's topic is breatharianism. So it's a bit of a sensitive topic, scandalous, but sensitive. Mm -hmm. And we will be discussing caloric intake. So not specific numbers or anything, but we will be talking about the concept of energy needs. And I'll be sharing, you know, the scandals behind breatharianism. And there are quite a few. And so we wanted to put an extra content warning on this episode that if you are struggling with disordered eating or have in the past please consider skipping this episode. Protect your health, protect your mental health, protect your recovery. And if you do need a little extra support, we've included the details for the NEDIC helpline, so the National Eating Disorder Center Information Center, the helpline in the show notes. So just wanted to say that right off the top, and it's a really good episode though. (laughs) So skip it if you need to, but I am so excited to share this story. Okay. And I guess to start us off, I'm also going to cover some like high-level information on energy expenditure and requirements. So our estimated energy requirement, basal metabolic rate, and the thermal effect of food, which is so cool. It's cool. It's very cool. These concepts, they're a bit complex, but they are important when establishing our energy expenditure and needs if we ever have to establish these things. Mm-hmm, totally. Isn't it funny how like all our episodes kind of fit together, even though we don't really plan like... We just a digestion. We don't. We don't. Now plan you're going to talk about. <laughs> we plan like the the intro and main story pairing, but we don't say like, okay, let's cover digestion one week and then cover thermal effective food the I next know, week. I know it just kind of works out. I feel like at the end when we ask each other the question, mm-hmm. we're always like, oh shoot, what's our question? We take a pause, we figure out what the question is going to be, and then we <laughs> yeah. bang, let's go. <laughs> I know. I know. This is our next episode. <laughs> yeah, it's very on the fly. <laughs> It is, but I feel like our brains are working for us in our favor and puzzle piecing all of these episodes together. Yep, I agree. Okay, let's do it. (laughs) The information in this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. If you're interested in medical nutrition therapy or personalized nutrition advice, please talk to a physician or registered dietitian in your area. If you have a history of disordered eating, be advised that nutrition details will be discussed and take the steps you need to protect your recovery journey. All the citations and relevant links for anything mentioned in this episode will be in our show notes on our website, unsavorypodcast.com. This podcast may contain coarse language, mature subject matter, and content of a violent or disturbing nature. Listener discretion is advised. This is an independently produced podcast. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can sign up as a donor through the Patreon link in our bio. If you could rate, review, follow, and share our show with your true crime and food-loving friends, that would really help us out, and we will be forever grateful. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right. So we all know that we need energy to live, and that energy comes in the form of kilocalories, aka calories, as we know them. So most of us do know what calories are, but the technical definition for a kilocalorie is the amount of heat needed to raise the temperature of one kilogram of water, one degree Celsius. So I actually watched this, like, just this example on YouTube, and I thought it was really interesting because I'd never really thought about it that way because, like, the definition is just so sciencey. But essentially, it was a chip underneath like a like a little basin of water and they set the chip on fire and then took the temperature of the water and it essentially like the degree of celsius that it increased was the number of calories that were in the chip oh am i painting a picture for you here i feel like, like a potato chip like a potato chip yeah and they set it on fire and the amount of energy what that is so interesting so they they, they took the temperature of the water and then that was the number of calories in the chip. And I, I just never really thought about it that way, even though I know what this definition is for a kilocalorie. But I just was like, oh, this is really great mental image. So I just tried to describe it for you. <laughs> That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Kilocalories are consumed when we eat and are burned throughout both conscious activities like exercise and unconscious things like breathing, thinking, and just existing. So energy balance refers to the relationship between food consumption and exertion, so energy in and energy out. So positive balance occurs when energy intake from food exceeds energy expenditure. Since excess energy is stored as fat, having a consistent positive balance is likely to lead to weight gain. A negative balance occurs when energy expenditure exceeds energy intake, so we're more likely to experience fat loss in this state. But of course, we know that weight loss is not that simple. So many factors come into play and energy expenditure is just one cog in the wheel. BMR stands for basal metabolic rate, and it is the rate at which a human or other mammal gives off heat in its resting state. So this energy is used to maintain cell metabolism and essential functions like breathing, maintaining body temperature and heart functions, as well as hormone activity. This averages out to about one kilocalorie per minute in your day, depending on factors like age, body composition, and physical activity. So with 1,440 minutes per day, that's approximately 1,440 calories burned just by living each day. The actual number is measured using gas analysis. So I'm going to butcher this word. I'm so bad (laughs) at saying it. So it's either direct or indirect calimetry. Did I say it right? No. No. Say Calorimetry. 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 <laughs> I don't know why it's so hard. It's like choreography, which I can now say, but it took me a really long time to figure out how to say that word. Like years. It's difficult tongue choreography. To Calorimetry. Calorimetry. Calorie. Calor- you know what's a tough one for me that we came up the other day in our class? What? Glomerular. Like glomerular, glomerular filtration rate. Glomerular. <laughs> you weren't paying attention. You were like, I actually it. was not. <laughs> it's for the kidneys. Imagine for the kidney function. Uh, I vaguely remember that. I <laughs> yeah, I kind of zoned out. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, okay. So indirect or direct 
calorimetry. Nailed it. Looks at heat output or oxygen input and carbon dioxide output. So BMR measurements in a lab are usually done after an eight-hour sleep and 12 hours of fasting to catch the digestive system in a more inactive state and to ensure that the individual is in like a more relaxed, chill state after waking up from a good sleep. So the person will also have to remain inactive during the time of the test since the whole point is to measure energy when the body's at rest. I'm pretty sure it's also a temperature-controlled room. Yeah, I'd believe that. Like, it it has to be this, like, perfect, like, super chill state to get an accurate measurement of BMR. And you just have to lay there. Just lay there. You can't even move. Mm -mm. Just breathe. And, like, exist. Sounds like a nice day. That sounds great. I'd love to get my (laughs) BMR measured. Uh, And BMR is also sometimes referred to as resting metabolic rate or RMR, but they are a little bit different. So RMR looks at the amount of energy needed to keep the body in balance while resting. And it takes into account some low effort daily activities like going to the washroom, walking, and eating. So basically, I like to think about it as like a just a chill day watching Netflix. The best days. The best days. This test can be measured under less restrictive conditions. So like when you're sleeping, for instance, and it doesn't require you to fast for like 12 hours. So it's often a preferred measure. Hmm. On to the next one. We have estimated energy requirement or EER, and it's the average energy intake predicted to maintain a healthy energy balance based on one's age, sex, weight, height, and physical activity levels. So it's a calculation rather than an actual test like BMR or RMR. In short, it essentially predicts your energy requirements based on the amount of energy you expend in a day. So in pregnant or lactating women and in children, the EER includes the extra energy needs associated with milk secretion, or body growth. The standard equation was developed by the Institute of Medicine in 2002. And as I said, it takes into consideration your age in years, weight in kilograms, height in meters, and the energy levels based on the scale that they essentially made up from 1 to 1.45. So I don't know where they really got that from, but it's science, so (laughs) probably somewhere. (laughs) And this measure this calculation, it was actually used to help create the U.S. Food Pyramid Dietary Guidelines in 2005. So for this one, it is good to keep in mind that measuring and incorporating physical activity into any equation can be pretty challenging, and it might not Mm -hmm. always be accurate. And that goes for all of these types of equations. Yeah, for sure. They'll all give you a slightly different energy estimation, and it's really just an estimate. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. As it says in the name, <laughs> estimated <laughs> energy requirement. Yes, exactly. Okay, so for our last important term, we have the thermal effect of food, or TEF, T-E-F. And it is the energy used to digest the food we eat, and it can account for up to 10% of a person's daily energy expenditure. And this is because it takes energy for the neural, digestive, metabolizing, and storing processes to take place both during and after we eat. So the energy burnt while digesting is related to your age, the size of your meal, and the composition of the food that you just ate. So for example, carbohydrates and protein, they have a higher TEF than that of fat. So essentially, TEF just refers to like a small increase in our metabolic rate after we eat. Hmm. TEF measurements are done in a clinical or lab setting, just like BMR since they are also a bit complex and require special equipment and somebody trained in using that equipment. 
But then there are also tough calculations to get, again, another estimate for the thermal effect based on individual and situational factors. So one widespread myth that most people have probably heard about is around the concept of negative calorie foods like celery. Celery is the classic example. Classic, classic example. The theory that you burn more calories chewing a food than the actual food contains has led to some confusion about the thermal effect of food. So celery is often used as this example since it consists mainly of like water and fiber. And while the kilocalories burnt through digestion may make for a net loss of kilocalories in some people, there is no scientific evidence to prove a negative calorie food effect. And consuming mainly these lower caloric foods with the intention of weight loss is not really sustainable as they often lack in macro and micronutrients, and it might actually negatively impact your metabolism as well. Hmm. Yeah, definitely not sustainable. I could not sustain myself off of celery. Oh, celery? Heck no. Maybe celery, peanut butter, peanut butter. and raisins. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> Ants on a log. So good. Yeah. And sustainability, that's an important piece that is definitely, I mean, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about possibly the least sustainable diet. And I use heavy air quotes when I say diet because <laughs> it's not really a diet at all. Thank you. The reason I wanted you to talk about all these different you know, energy requirements and all the different components that go into our metabolism is because there is such a significant need for energy even when we're doing nothing. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize maybe how significant it is and how we need food to sustain our breathing, our circulation, our immune system, our digestion, just our reproduction. Everything requires energy. Yeah. And if we're not consuming enough calories to maintain those organs, mm -hmm. those organs are going to start letting us down in different ways. Yeah. Terrible things start to happen. Mm -hmm. Food is very, very, very important. And I'm going to say that so many times throughout my story. It sounds so rudimentary, like everybody knows we need food, but mm -hmm. apparently not everyone knows that. And we got to make it clear throughout this whole episode that food is so important. We need it. Yeah. We're a little biased, <laughs> yeah. but... <laughs> we're, I mean, we're so biased. We, we love food. food. <laughs> we study food, but yeah, it's very important. So, okay. I'm going to launch into my part. I want to give a big thank you to Alyssa Salberg, who's a mm. friend and colleague from our nutrition undergrad, and Paige Stafford, our lovely social media volunteer from season one, for sending us this topic idea. And both of them sort of sent us this video on Instagram, and they were like, well, I don't know what this is about, but it's clearly bullshit, and I think you guys need to investigate. Like, there's got to be something scandalous here. And uh, they were right. <laughs> there Man, certainly is. I must have missed these videos. I've not seen yeah, them. Well, you don't want to see them. It's like okay. a Daily Mail video just about breatharianism. Mm. They sent me this, these videos about breatharianism. And I was like, well, I don't know if there's going to be a scandal here. This seems like your run-of-the-mill, ridiculous, kind of dangerous, sort of culty, completely pseudoscientific diet from social media sort of thing. I keep using air quotes, even though no one can see them. <laughs> but as I dove deeper and kind of got into this like dark side of the internet, I realized that there is plenty of scandal here. And unsurprisingly, multiple people have actually died from attempting this lifestyle and or diet. Wow. Yeah. 
I thought this was much more niche than it's already sounding. I mean, it is niche. It's very niche. And it's, I mean, it's not possible, but then people like latch on to these spiritual aspects of it and believe it is. And it just gets really complex and sad. Yeah. Okay. So like we said, today we're talking about the breatharian diet. It's more of a lifestyle. It's sometimes called breatharianism. It's dangerously restrictive. It's impossible to live on. And it's in no way, shape, or form recommended by anyone in the medical community or anyone with a basic understanding of biology. It's not grounded in science. And it defies everything we know about what you need to survive as a human being. So just to make it very clear that we do not even entertain the idea that this diet might be a viable option, it's really problematic. Very, very bad news. Breatharianism is exactly what it sounds like. Individuals consume little to no food or drink. They sustain themselves on air or the universe's energy or prana. And in some more liberal interpretations, uh, sunlight or daylight. So very much like a plant, which, spoiler alert, we are mammals. Humans are (laughs) mammals. And some might call breatharianism a lethal offshoot of diet culture. Others have called it a form of group-sanctioned disordered eating, and others have called it a straight-up cult, and I call it all of the above. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Love a good cult. I love hearing about them, not joining them. Yeah, not joining them. No. I know, and this is our first real cult story, I think, other than the MLM thing, but that's not a real cult. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Okay, so breatharianism is not a healthier, viable way to live, and those who attempt it and try to stick with it are known to die of dehydration and other health complications, which is no surprise because as Becca just taught us, our body has significant caloric needs, even if the only thing we do in that day is lie perfectly still in a bed in a climate-controlled room. So our body requires all that energy from food for breathing and growing, repairing, the immune system, and and just all the activities of living. And it's a well-established fact that humans need food. And there are numerous studies on the physiological and psychological effects of food restriction that clearly demonstrate that fasting for extended periods leads to starvation, dehydration, and eventual death. So if you do want to learn more about one of the most famous research studies on starvation, you can go (laughs) check out our episode on the Minnesota starvation experiment. And that kind of discusses in a little bit more detail what happens physiologically and psychologically in the absence of food intake. Great episode. Great episode. I also wanted to give a shout out to the most incredible piece of investigative journalism by Brina Kerr, who actually attended a breatharian retreat. And she wrote an article about it in GQ. And it's called The People Who Think Air is Food. And she's a hilarious writer. Also linked in our show notes on our website. And then I got some debunking help from Snopes, The Guardian, and a website called Cult Education. Sounds legit. It sounds legit. (laughs) How the heck does she get an invite to one of these retreats? You pay money. You do pay. Yep. I am intrigued. Quite a bit. Just to go see what's happening there. Maybe a, maybe give a lecture. <laughs> yeah. So breatharianism is also sometimes called inedia or inedia. And the idea behind breatharianism is that people live without consuming food or very, very little food. And in some cases, even without consuming water. But the kind of challenging part of breatharianism is that there is a spiritual component and often 
proponents of the diet will tell those who try it and fail that they weren't in the right mindset, which makes it extra insidious and tricky because then people blame their mindset, even though it is physically impossible to survive without nourishment. So there's like a blame piece and like a pushing through kind of situation. Right. So plants, of course, can survive on light because they have chloroplasts that contain chlorophyll, and they're able to harness and use energy from the sun through photosynthesis. But as humans, we don't have chloroplasts. We can't synthesize energy from light or air, and no matter how strong the mindset might be. Wait. What? So does this cult please tell me that they drink chlorophyll? They don't. They don't. They don't no. even do that. Oh my no, gosh, they're so not like, based in science. They can't even pretend they're plants. I know. Yeah. No, they're sunlight. not pretending to be plants. <laughs> so where did the idea for breatharianism originate? According to Ayurveda, which is an alternative medicine system with roots in ancient India, which we actually discussed in another episode on the wellness industry <laughs> and goop, sunlight is one of the main sources of prana or the life force or energy. And some individuals believe that it's possible for a person to survive on sunlight and air alone. There are very brief mentions of breatharianism in ancient Hindu, Tao, and Jain texts, and one of the most prominent figures in breatharianism in the past century is a Hindu holy person named Pralid Jani. Pralid Jani claimed to live without food or water from the 1940s all the way up until his death in May 2020. According to Jani, he left his home in Gujarat at the age of seven and went to live in the jungle. By the age of 12, Jani had undergone a spiritual experience and he'd become a follower of the Hindu goddess Amba, who he believed provided him with water that would drop down through a hole in his palate, allowing him to live without actual food or drink. Wait, so he left his home when he was a child. So he's a kid. He's seven, yeah. And lived in the jungle. By himself? Yeah. So the legend has it. Wow. I know. Anyways, continue. <laughs> so he has this apparent hole in his palate, not physically, but like spiritually, I guess. Mm -hmm. And he also claimed to never pass urine or stool. That's nothing to brag about. <laughs> I know. Like what is just like, just building up. Very in your... constipated. <laughs> yeah. But he claimed to really not consume anything throughout most of his life. And so there were actually were two observational studies done on Johnny to test his claims, one in 2003 and one in 2010, but neither were published. So critics of the studies say that they weren't well-designed. For example, in one of the studies, they had him on CCTV footage nearly the entire time, but they would allow him to leave the camera's view sometimes, which basically makes the experiment null and void because you weren't right. <laughs> observing him all the time. He could be stuffing his face with a cheeseburger in the corner. <laughs> he could be. I doubt he was, but like he could have been having anything, like even water or something. Right. And then he was also allowed to take baths and he was allowed to frequently gargle water. It's likely that he did at least have some water intake during that study. And then in another study, a brain imaging study that was done in 2017, it measured the size of Johnny's pineal and pituitary gland, both of which play a role in hunger, and found that his glands were the size of a 10-year-old boy's. Hmm. So this article actually was published in 2019 in the Annals of Neurosciences, 
But experts from Harvard and the American Dietetic Association have said that these results are borderline impossible. And it's been suggested that Johnny had influential supporters that may have contributed to the flawed study. So he's kind of like a big figure. Wow. And he passed away in May 2020. So that's one major figure in breatharianism. Not the most scandalous, though. Another influential breatharian was Wiley Brooks, the founder of the Breatharian Institute of America. Bet you didn't know that existed. I did not. I'm like, is this in LA? Where where is this place? (laughs) It is in California. I'm 99% (laughs) sure. So in an interview with Vice, Brooks compares himself to God and says that he was John the Baptist in a previous life. He also claims that the double quarter pounders with cheese and Diet Coke from McDonald's are the only foods that are not radioactive. What? Yeah. <laughs> Which is why he has admitted to enjoying them on occasion. Oh my gosh, what a cop out. I feel like he just really yeah. likes like, them. These ones aren't radioactive. It's fine. <laughs> He's also been photographed leaving a 7-Eleven with Twinkies, Slurpees, and a hot dog. And so this is one of the big things about individuals who claim to be breatharians is that beyond observing them 24-7 for their entire lives, which is impossible, there's no way to actually prove that they aren't eating until they get caught in some way. And he's going to 7-Elevens. Hasn't he heard of like Postmates? (laughs) Yeah, I know. I think, no, he was, he's actually passed away now. So I feel like it was before that time. Mm. But most of the people that actually claim to be full breatharian have been caught or confessed to occasionally eating and drinking. So, I mean, it shouldn't be something that you should feel guilty about. No, of course. I know. But it's, <laughs> it's like making these claims, which are problematic claims. Like a yeah. lot of people struggle with eating and like you know, seeing someone be like, oh, you don't need this. You don't need food. You just have to have the right mindset. Like that's really messed up. Yeah, it is. Okay. So there isn't a ton of information about the Breatharian Institute online. And if you go to the website, it looks like it's from the 1980s. Like it's a really rough rub website. Okay. You're going to send me that link. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the Brooks's Institute has various prices for prospective clients wishing to learn how to live without food. And the costs are insane. So they range from $100,000 US dollars to a billion dollars. And the average price is around a million dollars for a session called an immortality workshop, which teaches you how to be a breatharian. And then after that, If you're successful, I guess, you can buy his $10,000 bottles of energy water to help sustain you. This is, this is wild. It's, I know it all, it's so wild. And like, I actually don't have any data to back this up. So this is from the Vice article. It's not on the website. And like, I don't know if people are actually paying this. I don't know if, I just don't know. I doubt it. It, These prices are huge. So I I don't know. $10,000 bottle of water. Yeah. Not only is it an outrageous diet, but they make it unreachable Yeah, to so many people. Which is for the best. For the best. Because I don't want people to reach this. (laughs) So yeah, Wiley Brooks did stop teaching at his institute shortly before his death to, quote, devote 100% of his time to solving the problem as to why he needed to eat some type of food to keep his physical body alive and allow his light body to manifest completely. So I could solve that problem for you. It's because you're a human and humans need food. So that's Wiley Brooks, and he did pass away in 2016. Okay, so one other prominent proponent of breatharianism is a woman called Jasmaheen. And this is where things start to get really scandalous. 
Jazz Maheen was once known as Ellen Grieve, a financial advisor working in Australia. In 1992, she began getting really into meditation and she changed her name to Jazz Maheen. Shortly after that, she began speaking publicly about her spiritual beliefs and her breatharian diet, and she started amassing a bit of a following. Oh, I'm into this already. Yeah, I feel like you can kind of see where this is going a little Mm. bit. In 2010, she appeared on an episode of 60 Minutes Australia, and they challenged her to demonstrate how she could live without food or water. After 48 hours, the doctor who was overseeing the special on Jasmine found that she had acute dehydration, stress, and high blood pressure. This is only after two days. Jasmine claimed this was the result of the polluted air on the TV set. So 60 Minutes moved her to a mountainside retreat where she could get some fresh air. But as the filming continued over the next couple days, her speech slowed, her pupils dilated, and she began very rapidly losing weight. So 60 Minutes called off the rest of the series for fear that it would be unsafe and prove fatal because she was clearly suffering medically. And after the 60 Minutes broadcast, reporters visited her home and found that she had a fridge that was fully stocked with food, which Jasmine claimed were for her husband, Jeff Ferguson, who, incidentally, is a convicted fraudster. <laughs> Just so many nice coincidences. Uh, and you can watch that clip on YouTube. Is she there when they go through the fridge? Yeah, yeah, okay. she's showing okay. them. She's like, oh, no, that's all my husband's. So Jasmine has publicly stated that she has a couple of cups of tea with soy milk and honey each day. She has a glass of water. And when she wants flavor or a taste orgasm, actually, she will have some chocolate or a bite of cheesecake or a piece of fruit. But she reports that she subsists mostly on cosmic (sighs) particles from the air. So tasty. I know. I wonder if they have flavors. Cosmic particle flavors. I wonder if spring tastes different than fall. Fall would definitely be the tastiest. Oh, yeah. I agree. Okay, so this is actually interesting because a leading theory with the prominent breatharians is that they actually are eating and drinking enough to sustain life, but they underestimate the amount. So it's almost like a delusion because Jasmine doesn't say how often she, you know, wants flavor or, or tastes certain foods. And there really isn't any quantification done because people aren't following these people 24-7, right? And same with Wiley Brooks. We knew he ate McDonald's and 7-Eleven sometimes. And maybe these people are actually really under the belief that they're not consuming very much. But in actuality, they're consuming food regularly. So that's one theory. So Jasmine claims that she doesn't actually promote the breatharian diet because she thinks it would be dangerous for most, which is true. (laughs) But instead, she claims that she provides education and believes that if people experience a divine higher calling to become a breatharian, then that's their prerogative. Mm. So I'm like, you're not promoting it, but you kind of are. However, despite her denial of promoting the diet, she gives speeches and she has two books, one called Pranic Nourishment and the other called Live on the Light, and they have amassed a cult-like following. Okay, so she's promoting it. She's promoting it, Mm -hmm. profiting off of it. And as of 2012, five deaths have been attributed to the teaching of Jasmine. Oh my gosh. So her. Yeah, her books. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I would kind of suspect more, but it's tricky. Okay, so one of the most tragic losses to breatharianism was mother of nine, Lani Marcia Roslyn Morris. 
Lonnie was a 53-year-old Melbourne resident who died in 1999 while attempting the breatharian diet after reading Living on the Light by Jasmine. Morris reportedly was going through a difficult time when she stumbled upon the breatharianism philosophy, and she was ensnared by the claims of spiritual oneness and transformation into your higher self. And that's what bothers me the most about this particular lifestyle is when the spiritual aspect becomes involved and the food becomes intertwined with higher purpose and self-fulfillment and people that are vulnerable may be less able to see how negatively their health is being impacted. Right. So Lonnie contacted Jim and Eugenia Pesnak, two breatharians who were running 21-day initiations into breatharianism on their property. And she decided to join them to kind of get her journey started. She was placed in a caravan in the yard to isolate for the first seven days, after which she would be allowed to enjoy a single glass of orange juice. Was this was this uh, COVID times? Why would she have to self-isolate? It's so that you are tempted, I think. Or maybe, it just, I don't know, I don't know the details of the journey, but maybe it needs to be like an internal journey. Okay. It's not, it's pre- way pre-COVID, two decades <laughs> ago. And if you think about it, so it's actually really dangerous to provide someone with orange juice after seven days of completely fasting, what we know about refeeding syndrome. If you have no nutrition for seven days and then you're provided with like a concentrated source of carbohydrates, that can be very dangerous with potentially mm-hmm. lethal electrolyte shifts. So I do not approve. If I didn't approve before, I definitely don't approve now. <laughs> Anyways, it was only six days into Lonnie's stay when Jim Pesnak heard a loud thud come from her caravan. He found that Lonnie had fallen out of bed and was lying on the floor. According to her diary, she'd been dreaming of foods like tea and cakes, which is a very similar phenomenon to what happened with the young men in the Minnesota starvation experiment. And Lonnie made it to the seven-day mark the next day, and she did enjoy her orange juice. And the Pesnaks hoped that the worst was behind them. But instead, Lonnie progressively lost function of her right arm. She became incontinent, and she stopped talking, and she also began vomiting a black liquid. Mm. Her diary entries became increasingly chaotic. Jim Pesnak allegedly contacted a local doctor, I say allegedly on purpose, William Moulton, who had done a 21-day retreat with them previously, although Moulton denies this and denies being contacted. Pesnak reportedly felt satisfied after allegedly talking to the doctor and believed that the black liquid she was vomiting was a mixture of all the spiritual and physical pollutants leaving her body. Jim Pesnak also inserted a tube himself into Morris's throat to help her breathe more easily. DIY intubated her, which just hurts my throat to think about. Yeah. But she vomited the tube up as well. So by day 11, Jim and Eugenia could no longer deny that something was terribly wrong with Lonnie. They finally called an ambulance, but it was too late. And Lonnie Morris died on July 1st after suffering from pneumonia, severe dehydration, kidney failure, and a severe stroke. Oh, no. In interviews with police, Jim showed no remorse, and he shared his convictions that Morris had a, quote, spiritual blockage created by her, quote, childish refusal to let go of her emotional burdens, which just makes me so angry. Yeah, that's so rude. It's, yeah. That's such a terrible thing to say. She was suffering so greatly. Yeah. 
The Pesnaks also claimed that they didn't seek help sooner because traditional medicine would not have understood her spiritual journey. And that, (laughs) as far as the process is concerned, sometimes a doctor's intervention can be fatal. Their intervention was fatal. (laughs) Their lack of intervention was fatal. Oh my God, this guy sounds like such a dick. I know. So Jim and Eugenia were jailed for six years and two years respectively on charges of manslaughter for their involvement in the death of Lonnie Morris. Isn't that awful? Yes. Did they go on to live normal lives after those six years? Probably did. This was in 1999, so they've probably been out of jail for over a decade. (laughs) Yeah. I don't like that. I think what bothers me so much is that, like, it's people searching for, like, a purpose or, like, like, it's people who are struggling that might yeah. be drawn to something like this and taken advantage of. Yeah, and they're putting all their trust into you, who's like their faith leader mm-hmm. or guide. Yeah, it's yep. extremely sad. Okay, another well-known case occurred the same year in 1999. Verity Lynn, a 49-year-old Scottish woman, was found 100 yards from her tent on the secluded shores of Loch Cam, Sutherland, Scotland, by a passing fisherman. The former primary school teacher had always had an interest in spirituality and was a member of a local spiritual community. She'd experimented with fasting before, but just two weeks earlier, she had started trying breatharianism as taught by Jasmine. A copy of Jasmine's book, Living with the Light, was found amongst her belongings, and beside it was Verity's diary referring to her plans to fast. A postmortem revealed Verity had died from dehydration and hypothermia with self-neglect via a lack of nutrition as a secondary cause. Mm. I don't like the way that's worded, self-neglect. Yeah. So it's just really sad that this lifestyle and this promise of you know spiritual enlightenment can prey on people who are struggling and possibly people who have struggled with food in the past. Like so many people struggle with food, so... Those are two of the more well-documented cases that I could find. That's so tragic. And I don't know, I'm I'm assuming maybe you'll get into this, but the fact that this book, The Living with Light or Living with the Light, was found in like multiple Mm -hmm. locations where people were found dead. I hope something happened to her. I don't think so. In terms of going, no, she didn't go to jail? No. Jasmine, no. Oh. What's she up to these days? Probably still preaching. I don't know. Future editing Sarah here. Looks like Jasmine is still going strong and sharing her message, but like most of us, she's transitioned to Zoom events. This was kind of like dark corners of the internet research. Mm-hmm. This is, I think, I think by and large, like most of the population understands that this is like really not possible. And right. it just kind of, I don't know, like I got on some weird websites and I was just like, oh, what is this? So there's not a ton of information out there and maybe intentionally, like maybe it's been taken down for misinformation or like dangerous misinformation. I don't know. I'm just spitballing, but yeah. Okay. And then there are, there was one report of a man named Timo Dagan, a 31 year old kindergarten teacher from Munich who passed away in 1997 after reading about Jasmine's breatharianism and the liberation from the drudgery of food and drink which was one on one of her websites, allegedly. And on day 12 of his diet, or breatharianism lifestyle, he reported having visual problems, and on day 19, he slipped into a coma. And he apparently suffered an almost total circulatory system collapse, 
and did end up dying actually from a head injury from falling over. Oh, man. And again, very little information on this because I think, you know, these are medical stories. They're, it's not quite directly a murder or a crime necessarily. Right. There is choice and agency involved, but it's very, very sad. And people are getting seriously injured and harmed and losing their life from this. And then there are some other um, reports of an unnamed Swiss woman and another unidentified person that passed away after experimenting with breatharianism. So what the heck's going on here? Are Prala, Johnny, Ellen Grieve, or Jasmaheen and Wiley Brooks special, or are they liars, or are they delusional? Humans can only go about four to five days without water and four to five weeks without food before dying. So living without either food and water is impossible. And experts believe that they there may actually be some delusion here. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, they may be in denial of how much they actually do eat. Mm-hmm. But there is quite literally no evidence that anyone has ever actually managed to live as a breatharian. And when tested in a controlled environment, the proponents of breatharianism often fail. So for example, Jasmine has never proved that she doesn't eat. She actively demonstrates signs of eating and has admitted to regularly consuming certain foods. And then, as we heard, when tested on 60 Minutes, she did fail and had serious medical complications quite quickly. Mm -hmm. There was a literature review of anomalously long fasting or like extraordinarily long fasting claims that was published in 2020. And it did find that there is not a single documented case of long fasting that has a good quality study. And there is need for improved rigor and transparency in further studies. Is it even ethical to do studies like this? You would have to do a case study probably of someone who's already doing it. Yeah, population who's... certainly couldn't make people fast. That would never get approved. And that article was by Marcus H. Mast and published in a journal called Explore. So my biggest question and what bothers me the most is why people are drawn to something that is so obviously not capable of sustaining life. And it's, I think, largely the lure of spirituality and enlightenment for some, but also so many people have challenging relationships with food and find it cumbersome to eat every day and are likely drawn to the promise of not needing it for the rest Mm -hmm. of their lives. And what's ultra scary is that many who might be drawn to something like breatharianism may also have other health issues that might make their decline even more rapid. And by the time they're sick enough to realize that they've been conned or that this lifestyle can't possibly work, the malnutrition and dehydration may have progressed to a point where they're not able to think clearly. Right. Which is really scary. Yeah. I mean, to spend a million dollars to live this way. I mean, who knows if anyone spends that though? That's true. My more my worry is people who read the book and just try to do it themselves. If they yeah. think it's a good fit for them. Hold on. I want to look this up in live time. What's the book called again? Light. Living on the Light. Living. By Jasmine. It's on Amazon. 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 Get that off. $17. Take that off Amazon. Yeah. Can you just put any old book up on on Amazon? Yeah, you can self-publish on Amazon. Yeah, but do they not even read it before they let you do that? This book looks like it was published in 1997. (laughs) Yeah, it for sure does. 
Yeah, so it's out there. I don't recommend reading it. I've never read it. I never will. I'd rather read a cookbook. <laughs> Same. Oh, she has a website. Yeah. I'm assuming no. you being. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This is special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no way she looks that nice and doesn't eat. There's no way. Yeah, she looks She's kind a, of healthy. Yeah, she looks like a very healthy, beautiful woman. There's no mm-hmm. way. I'm sorry. That was a little aside. I just really had to see what this lady looked like. Yeah. So I guess my final advice to everyone listening is to be wary of people who are directly profiting off drastic diet or lifestyle changes, especially if they have difficult to measure results like Mm -hmm. enlightenment or achievement of higher self. Those are very subjective, tricky measures. (laughs) Be skeptical of anything that severely limits or restricts food in general or like fully restricts an entire food group or anything like that. Say no to anything that blames you and your dedication or your willpower as a reason for failure, because that's not the case. And then, of course, from your two future dietitians, please eat food, lots of food every single day. Every day. And if the diet seems like a cult, it might be a cult. Yeah. <laughs> probably a cult. It's probably a cult. <laughs> Although sometimes Peloton feels like a cult. I'm very much in that cult. The back of my shirt says Peloton. Does <laughs> <laughs> it? Yeah. I was going to say, but Peloton's not selling you anything. And I'm like, oh, it's selling you everything. Okay. Uh, but Peloton doesn't blame you for your for not riding enough? No. Okay. But I do feel guilt when I don't. <laughs> Uh-oh. You might be in a cult. <laughs> I'm in a cult. <laughs> oh, what'd you think? Crazy oh, story. Oh, so interesting. I can't believe I've never really heard of this yeah. group before. It's really, really quite shocking. And... It does just sound quite scammy. Super scammy, super problematic. You know, not everyone who's going to see this stuff on social media is going to understand energy needs and is going to understand not eating can impact you physiologically and psychologically. And that's what just like gets under my skin. And like, I don't want teenagers seeing people who are claiming to live like this. Right. And I just wonder what's going on in like Jasmine's head. Mm-hmm. Like she wakes up every morning and she's like, this is who I'm going to be. This is how I'm going to live, live in air yeah. quotes. Because I, there's no way that she could live this long without food, just be mm-hmm. living on air. But she does, like she eats. Mm-hmm. She said, like she at least throughout the day has tea with milk and honey and then a couple bites of whatever she wants Cheese to taste. Cheesecake, yeah. <laughs> Cheesecake, yeah. And I don't want to say she eats enough. She probably doesn't. But to wake up every day and choose pseudoscience and I don't know, influencing people based on a feeling that you have. I just don't understand. I don't know. Yeah. Great episode though. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. And your interest (laughs) set us up perfectly to fully understand how impossible it is to live without food. So that's exactly what I was hoping for. Do you have a question for us next week? Of course. Okay. So Sarah, the question for next week's episode is, what is your favorite Thanksgiving dessert? Ooh. Oh my gosh. I love Thanksgiving food. Same. Okay. Definitely my favorite food holiday. Okay. I kind of controversial. I prefer apple as a fall flavor to pumpkin. Interesting. What are your thoughts? Okay. So is it, what what kind of apple dessert? Apple pie. Apple pie. Okay. With ice cream. Apple pie with ice cream. Okay. That Mm -hmm. is delicious. Top Mm -hmm. notch. I would have to say though, 
because you can have apple pie almost any time of year. Okay. I would normally go towards pumpkin pie. Okay. At Thanksgiving. But do you have apple pie any time of year? Or do you have it in the fall? You normally have it in the fall. Okay, Tommy. <laughs> it's the, it's apple season. Yeah, it's like a fall dessert. I wouldn't say it's specific to Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, okay. Whereas pumpkin, I feel like, is more specific to Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's true. You catch my drift? But like, okay, other Thanksgiving desserts, like it's really only pumpkin pie. It's Yeah, it's basically pies. Just pumpkin <laughs> pie. Yeah. I definitely, I like pumpkin pie, but if given the choice, I'd go apple. Okay. Mm-hmm. I just made apple pie for Jeff's birthday. Oh, yeah? I nailed it. It was my first time ever making a pie. It was, I just used like a tender flake crust. I didn't make my own crust or anything, but it tasted so good. Well, I will accept any apple pies okay. this upcoming Thanksgiving. I'll make one next year. <laughs> so I'll deliver <laughs> You're it done. next year. Yeah, I'm not. You've met your quota. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it. Thanksgiving desserts. Get excited. All right. See you next episode. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unsavory. You can find all the references and materials used to put this episode together in our show notes at unsavorypodcast.com. This is an independently produced podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would rate, review, follow, and share our show with your true crime and food-loving friends. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can sign up as a donor through our Patreon link in our bio. To keep up to date with the podcast, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at unsavorypodcast. If you have an idea for an episode or segment, email us at unsavorypod at gmail.com. This podcast was recorded and edited by Earworm Radio. We highly recommend their services for all of your podcasting needs. You can learn more about them at earwormradio.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.